0: All right, well, we are in part seven of our series called I Am, where we are looking at the seven I Am statements that Jesus made where he was declaring who he is. And these seven I Am statements show up in John's gospel where he declared things like, I'm the vine, and then he tells us, you're the branches. Uh, Last week, we looked at the fact that he is the good shepherd. We unpacked that a little bit. He's the light of the world. He's the bread of life. These all speak to who God is but also it speaks to who we are in him and the relationship that we have with him. And John who wrote that gospel also wrote the book of Revelation where there are 7 letters to Jesus church where Jesus shows up and speaks some direct things to his people. And in the book of Revelation it's very clear that those letters weren't just for them to read that day. They were meant to be shared among the church and they were meant to be shared with us still today. And so we're connecting the identity of Jesus with his call to his church in the midst of good times, bad times, desert seasons, and we've been unpacking all of that. So this morning, we're in part seven where Jesus declares, I am the door. I am the door. And then we're gonna be looking at the letter to the church in Philadelphia to go along with this. So if you wanna follow along in your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 10, you can also hold your place in Revelation chapter 3. Those are going to be the two primary passages we are in this morning. Now this morning is a little bit a little bit um, unique in that um, it's the first time where we've been unpacking this and some of the things, there's a little bit of crossover from an earlier passage. So last week we were in John 10 and we were looking at Jesus as the good shepherd. But in the midst of that passage, he also takes up another name where he says, I'm also the door, I'm the entryway into and your protection for the sheep to come in and come out into my pasture. And so in the midst of that passage, there's just a handful of verses here in John 10 verse seven. And so this is where we're going to start this morning. John 10 verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, in the midst of this, Jesus is is making two distinct points. He's emphasizing that there are thieves and robbers. I mean, if we just read those few verses together, it almost sounds like the people Jesus is talking to are feeling hemmed in a little bit, under attack a little bit. He says, listen, before you even met me, before I even showed up in your life, there were thieves and robbers that were trying to rip you off. Now, for those that are in this room that would say, "I've, I've given my heart to Jesus... You already know this to be true, that there were things in your life before you came to Jesus that were trying to sell you a bill of goods that fell short. And for many of us, we, we bought those lies for a little while and we found ourselves lacking. It's like a mirage, it looks wonderful, it looks appetizing. In the desert of my life, that thing over there looks like it's gonna provide relief and satisfaction and I run to it and I get a face full of sand. When I get there. So Jesus is saying, "Everyone that's come prior to me, the, the things that this world has to offer, even other religions try to offer some element of hope or light or truth. And yet when we really get there, we discover they leave us empty." And He says, "Until you come to me, you'll find yourself chasing these thieves and these robbers. But my sheep have rejected that, and they've accepted the truth of what I offer, And so I am truly the door. And so then he tells us we, we gain access into his kingdom. We receive salvation through Jesus. Now this particular message this morning isn't primarily a message about salvation, but the truth remains. Jesus is our way to having peace with God. He is our way to, be, to go from being a slave of sin, where sin separates us from a relationship with God, to being moved into right relationship with God being forgiven, not only of guilt and of shame, but being given and promised a new eternal home in Jesus Christ, a place with Him in heaven forever. And so he's talking about that here. I am the doorway, I am the true path to life. But there's an and in that sentence. He says, I'm the door, if anyone enters by, by me, he will be saved, and, and he says, and you will go in and out and find pasture. Now. There's both a specific picture there, given that would give us the imagery of like a sheep going into like the safe place, you know, going into their pen, maybe at night and being protected. And then during the day being let out. And there's this idea of just kind of the routine of life, the ins and outs of life. And very much this is a picture of the life we are still living on this earth where we go in and out, we go about our day, and Jesus promises in the day-to-day, in the mundane, in the difficulty, he's promising safe passage. He's promising pasture even, something that brings life, that renews and strengthens me. We have this doorway, this passageway into life. Now he goes right back into talking about thieves again Verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, listen, there are outsiders. Before you even come to me, this world has a lot to offer. but It's lying to you. It's ripping you off. After you come to me and discover me, and you found entry into my kingdom, and you go about living this life I've called you to, there is still a thief that wants to rip you off. He wants to steal from you. He he hopes to kill you. He hopes to destroy your life. And so for many of us as believers, we begin to face some of those realities. And we can reach that moment where we go, like, what's up, Lord? What's going on here? You know, I don't know about you guys, but as we were singing that third song, there was like a, a place in there, I don't know, maybe the bridge or one of the verses. Um, we were talking about how he'll, he'll never let us, well, I meant to remember the line, I lost it. You're never gonna let me down. Never gonna let me down. Has anybody ever felt let down by God? My hand's up. He says, listen, you are gonna feel robbed, stolen, cheated, beat up, worn down but I want you to hear something from me. I'm I'm here in the same door that you walked through to be made right with God and to have peace with God. It is through that same door that when you're facing the difficulties of this life, you can still find pasture in me. I long to refresh and to heal and restore. And so on the heels of that second warning about the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants us to have life in Him right here, right now. So what I, what I want to do this morning, we're going we're gonna to kind of put a note, a little pin right there, and we're going to talk about the church in Philadelphia a little bit. But for the rest of this service, I want to talk about how do we experience, taste, enjoy the pasture that He's offering— <laughs> in the midst of the reality of this life that we're living in. Now I realize there are, we all have our own little story going on. Okay. I don't want to project my life onto your life. I know we have our own unique stories. I do think if we were to take a poll this morning, um, and even the word poll probably just gave everybody a weird little chill after the last year we've gone through. Um, But if we took a poll this morning, I think we could all agree in a general sense, our, our culture, our country, our society is in a pretty dark, hard season. I think we could agree on that, maybe. And so I, I believe there's something in here for us this morning that Jesus wants to offer. And so we're gonna look at this through the lens of the church in Philadelphia and some things they were experiencing and see if there's some, some light and some truth that Jesus wants to share with us about him being the door and what we have access to as followers of Jesus. So here we go. So let me give you a little background again. So the church in Philadelphia, we got our map, Caleb. Um, The church in Philadelphia, we're now kind of moving along our, our map here. So again, John's out here on the island of Patmos. He gets his vision, the revelation from Jesus. He writes a letter to the seven churches that are all of those dots. And they go in order. They were literally delivered like along a route. And so if you read through Revelations 2 and 3, the first letter is written to Ephesus and then Smyrna, and then Pergamum, and then Thyatira, and then Sardis, and then finally we arrive at Philadelphia, letter number six. That's where we're at this morning. And so we go along there, we get to Philadelphia. There's some, some interesting things about Philadelphia. I want to start by just giving you a sense of, of modern-day Philadelphia in Turkey. Here's a picture there, modern-day Philadelphia, and what it looks like over there in Turkey now got a few Rocky fans that maybe remember that. Okay, sorry, I have a weird sense of humor. Um, I've been showing you guys like pictures of ruins and stuff, and I couldn't find any good pictures this week of Philadelphia in Turkey. So I just thought, hey, we'll just turn to Rocky. Um, All right, so no no other pictures for you there, but I'll try to paint the picture for you. So um, in some ways, that picture captures the essence of the church in Philadelphia, though. They were the underdog. They were the underdog. This is another one of the churches that was experiencing persecution. They were experiencing it at the hands of the Romans. They were also experiencing it at the hands of the Jews in that community that were railing against the Christians. And so it was like a double-edged thing coming at them. And so truly, they had to rise above that. They were in a difficult spot. This particular town, it's fairly close to Sardis that we looked at last week. And we mentioned that there was was one particular earthquake that took Sardis out. But Philadelphia was in even a worse spot. And so because of a volcano that was nearby, they were dealing with constant earthquakes. And so this town was kind of in a continual state of disrepair. They would work, they'd rebuild it, the ground would shake again and things would come crumbling down and fall. They didn't have the technology that that we do today, like in California, where you can build structures that can withstand some of the shaking. And so they were constantly rebuilding, repairing. I mean, both spiritually, physically, on every level, this church was experiencing a shaking. It was a difficult and dangerous place to be a follower of Jesus. It was a difficult town to survive in. And yet what was interesting is there was this... this, um, this fruit that could really grow there. Because of the ash that produced some really awesome qualities in this valley and in the soil, this was a place known for wine. It was a really healthy ground to produce vine and to produce wine. And so pretty much the main reason that the Romans and others kept the city going was because there was such good wine to be brought from there. It was kind of used as a center to gather that and then ship it out. And so in the midst of being a hard place to live, a difficult place, there was fruit on the vine. I think that's a pretty cool picture of the spiritual reality of the church in Philadelphia. In the midst of a life that truly there was not not much safety. There was a lot of difficulty. There were a lot of obstacles to overcome. This was a fruitful church. They were one of two, Smyrna being the other, that received nothing but, but good commendations from the Lord, nothing negative to say about them. He basically just told them, hold on. Hold on. But in the midst of this difficult place, this difficult season, they produce something. Now look at the words that Jesus begins with in his letter to Philadelphia to encourage this church in that situation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true One, who has the key of David. Can you all say key of David? Who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens. (laughs) Verse 8, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut and I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied me. That's what Jesus is looking for. Crystal talked about this during worship. Just somebody willing to be humble and faithful to Jesus, to take him at his word and trust him. And it says that he saw their works. He saw this faithful church in the midst of this difficult situation. He said, listen, I realize you have like little to no power but I see you, I see where you are, I see what's going on, I see you've kept my word, you've not denied me, you've not given up, you haven't compromised, you haven't walked away, you've held strong. And he has this imagery of saying, I'm the one who has the key of David, and he talks about a door, a door which when it's closed, nothing can break it down and get in. And a door when it's opened, no one can close it. Whoever he wants to let in can come in. Jesus is giving this picture of authority and strength. Now, I've mentioned this a few times along the way. The book of Revelation will make a lot of sense to us when we will stop and recognize wording and imagery that we may not normally understand, but if we find it in Scripture, it brings it to life. The book of Revelation is constantly giving us pictures of things that are written in other places in the Bible. And one of them are these words of Jesus. He is quoting from the book of Isaiah when he says, I have the key of David. And when he says, I I have the door, that when it's shut, it can't be opened. And when it's opened, it can't be shut. He's quoting Isaiah. So we're gonna go there and get a sense of this. So let me give you a little bit of background. Um, In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 22, Isaiah is writing a prophecy to Jerusalem, to God's people in Jerusalem. Now at this point, he has already been prophesying for about 40 years that trouble's coming. And that what they've been relying upon is gonna fail them and they need to repent and turn to God. And so I wanna just read to you a couple sentences that a historian uses to describe Jerusalem's situation and what Isaiah had been trying to communicate to them. So this is 40 years of warning. And now at the the end of those 40 years, the Assyrian army is pressing in upon them. And this historian writes and he says, Now all Isaiah's ministry had been directed just against these two things, the Egyptian alliance and the purely formal observance of religion. So trust in the world and trust in their religiousness and together both of these had given way and the Assyrian was at the gates. They had trusted in their political power and influence in the area, and they had trusted in their own sense of religious rightness that everything was just gonna be okay. And then the Assyrians come marching in and the Egyptians who they'd made an alliance with fell before the Assyrians, and all of a sudden the enemy is bearing down upon them. And when they realized that their trust that had been in their political position was failing them, guess what immediately went with it? Their religion was shown to be of nothing. And they dropped it. And so these two pillars that they had built their safety and trust on that Isaiah had been warning them about for 40 years failed them. I don't know if y'all see any connections here to our our Christian, moral, conservative mentality. I'm not saying we shouldn't care deeply about our politics and vote with our heart and let who we are as Christians influence that, absolutely. But I'm talking about a false picture of security that says I'm investing my hope where I stand how my family is going to be, where my protection is going to come from in political powers and in an image, a picture of religion that may or may not be based in anything real. And Isaiah had been telling them, repent. You just need God. In reality, in your heart, in your actual life, you need to turn to him and repent. And so, it is in this context where it all has crumbled around them and they are lost and they are hopeless and the enemy is bearing down on them. And in the midst of that, as they see them coming, here's what Isaiah describes in chapter 22, verses 12 and 13 that he sees. He says, In this day, as the enemy is riding towards our gates, in that day the Lord God of hosts calls for weeping and for mourning, for baldness and wearing sackcloth. He's saying, This is the moment. If you haven't responded for 40 years as you've been warned, now that you see the enemy at the gate, the thief, the robber, that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he's at your very gate, maybe now you will turn and repent. But behold, there's joy and gladness. There's killing of oxen and slaughtering of sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. You're saying, let us eat, drink, And be merry, for tomorrow we die. You should be humbly repenting before God and asking for His grace and His mercy. And instead, the people are like, well, it's hopeless, anyways. So let's just party until it all blows up. This is His people, this is Jerusalem, this is His holy city. They placed their trust in something else other than him. And it proved empty, it proved false. And instead of turning to him and repenting, they just, well, let's get what we can out of this while we can, and I guess it'll all burn around us. It's heartbreaking. But God, God was still at work and he still saw a remnant of his people there that trusted him that were faithful to him, and he says, I'm going to start by dealing with the authority here. Now, King Hezekiah is in charge, and he has a right-hand man that God says, I'm going to replace that right-hand man because he's false, and he's been deceptive, and he hasn't addressed the problems. And I'm going to replace him with my servant, Eliakim. Now, this Eliakim is a real guy. It's a real steward that was going to be brought in to be second in command to Hezekiah, and God said, my hand's going to be on him to bring some change. But there's also a glimpse of our future and coming king in Eliakim. This is a messianic prophecy as well. And so we pick this up in the midst of, of this atmosphere. Y'all got a, you feel like you got a sense of the atmosphere, of where they're at, of what's going on? And God says, in the midst of that atmosphere, another town that is shaking that's trembling, that the enemy is pressing in upon. He says, in that day, in Isaiah 22, verse 20, in that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilakai, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of Judah. And then here's what Jesus quoted. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and no one shall shut and none shall open. Sorry, he shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. This is a picture of Jesus. The enemy's pressing in upon you and God's saying, I'm going to put somebody in place that's got a door that'll stay shut and it can't be penetrated. When the enemy is at your gates, that's really good news. And when you've been stumbling and running from God and he says, I'm going to open up a door that that will remain open to you that no one can shut. I'm going to give you a path in a path back to me, a path to turn your heart and acknowledge me and repent, and I'm an open door for you, equally good news. To these broken, discouraged, running-from-God people, he provides a door back in. And he provides protection against the enemy. And Jesus adopts that language that he used then for his people Israel And he now speaks to the church in Philadelphia. And I believe he still speaks to his church today a message that I'm the door. There are lost, broken, hurting people in my church who've forgotten that they can find comfort and pasture in me. And they can turn to me and stop trusting in other things that we try to arrange for our comfort, for our health, for our security. And we can turn instead and trust him. There is an open door for that. There's open doors still for people who are not his to come in and turn to God and find refuge. And we need to keep the door open for them, lost and hurting people who need Jesus in our fallen society. But he also says, I'm gonna bring protection where the enemy wants to come in and destroy and rip you off and pick my people off like a wolf picking off sheep. I'll close the door and keep them safe. That's Jesus, that's his heart towards us. That's what he longs to do for us. He longs to rescue. He longs to protect. I find that imagery fascinating. A peg in a sure place. Our Savior took some pegs and they held him there and he stayed there until the deed was done, until he had finished the job so that there could be a way for us into the presence of God. You know, there's some, some interesting imagery. I wish I had time to fully unpack the Passover. But, you know, Jesus is, we know, right, the classic, like he's there on the cross, nails in his hands and in his feet, a crown of thorns on his head. Do you realize that the picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, that there was a door connected with that in the Old Testament? In the original Passover, when they were enslaved in Egypt, And during the 10th plague, when God told them, you're going to kill the Passover lamb, he told them to do something unique with the blood. He said, you take the blood of that lamb and you mark the top of the doorposts and the sides of the doorposts and the bottom with the blood of the lamb and the angel of death will pass over your house and you will be saved. The imagery of the door to new life, the door to salvation that comes through the blood of the lamb. There is a sure peg in place on which our entire life can hinge. Nothing else can hold it. Nothing else can hold it. In fact, if we read the passage talking about Eliakim, a couple verses later, it says it'll just last a while and the peg will give. But there is one who will not give. That will not give. That will not leave us short. If we hinge our lives on anything else but Jesus, you can be assured it will pull out of the wall. It will not be able to sustain the whole weight of your life and your family. But Jesus holds sure. And because he holds sure, he can tell us to hold fast to him. Let's continue on. Verse 9. So he says, okay, this is the condition. This is the position you're in, but I'm the door. Now watch what I'm going to do. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, the people that are attacking you, accusing you, persecuting you, that say they're Jews and are not, so they're pretending to be something they're not, these very people that are attacking you, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth." Look at this picture. He says, your accusers, your attackers, your persecutors, they will find themselves drawn to you. They will see something about you that is so unbelievable to them. They will find themselves bowing at your feet going, tell me about this love of God. I don't get it. I don't understand it. We have a picture of this in the book of Acts. Go back and read later Acts 16, verses 25 through 33. I'm just gonna tell you about it. Paul and Silas find themselves in prison. They're locked up. There's a closed door. They're locked in tight. And yet they find pasture. How do I know that? Because they are praising and worshiping God in the midst of being in prison. And as they are singing, guess what is shaken? Not them. There ain't no earthquake going on in their hearts everything around them begins to shake. The walls begin to rattle. Guess what, those doors get flung open by the one who can swing doors open that no one can shut. And as they worship God in the midst of prison, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of their persecutors, and they worship and the door flings open, do they stop and race out of there as fast as they can, scared and worried? No, they didn't go anywhere, they stayed put. The guard comes in terrified, thinking, I'm about to be in trouble. And Paul says, hey, don't worry, bro. We're still here. Everybody's here. And guess what happens? Exactly what Jesus said would happen. He comes before them, and the scripture says he bowed before Paul and Silas and said, what must I do to be saved? And that day, he and his household were saved and were baptized into the kingdom of God when his believers will hold fast and find pasture, no matter what is happening around us, no matter how much our lives are shaking, no matter how much what we thought we could depend upon has failed us, when we hold fast to the sure peg, we will find pasture, we will see prison doors swung open, and we can see other people come in because we've held on. we've held on that's his only message to Philadelphia hold on look he finishes the whole thing like this Revelation 3 verse 11 I'm coming soon isn't that the best news I'm coming soon hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown the one who conquers check this out I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hold fast. Right now we might be living in a season of great shaking, but if we hold on, we will find ourselves solid pillars in the kingdom of God. That's his message. Jesus is the door. There are thieves without, and some even try to sneak in. And we could easily be robbed by them, or we could decide just to kind of party until it all burns. Or we can choose to enter through the door and find pasture no matter what the season is because we are holding on to our King in spite of the current circumstances that we're in. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the sure door, the door to life. God, I thank you that you have swung open that door to us that anyone who enters in will be saved and will find pasture. Jesus, I pray that we would continue daily, regularly as we go about this life God, that we would continue to enter through your door, enter through you only, that our lives would be hung on you, the peg that we can lean on, that we can hinge our lives upon, and that we will find all that we need in you. God, help us to hold fast and to hold on. And God, I thank you that as we do that, we get to watch some miracles happen. God, we get to watch you break down doors in our lives. We get to watch you open doors for others to come into your kingdom. And God, we can watch your faithful protection and provision as you keep some things out and guard us along the way. Jesus, we choose to love you and to trust you and to hold fast. It is in your name that we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.